Hello and welcome to Filling the Sink, a podcast from Catalan News. I'm Lorcan Doherty and today we're talking about Catalonia's LGBTQI plus community. This weekend, Barcelona celebrates Pride. There's parades and parties, of course, but also protest for freedom, equality and respect. On today's podcast, we'll be chatting about the history of gay and trans rights in Catalonia. It's quite a journey from the oppression of the Franco regime to this year's trans law. And we'll be hearing from the Observatory Against Homophobia on the discrimination still faced by the community in Catalonia today. I'm joined by Christina Tomas-White. Hello, Christina. Hey, Lurkin. And Kate Nessens. Hi, Kate. Hi, Lurkin. It probably is worth taking a look at how far we've come, Christina, because I mentioned there the Franco regime and uh, like a lot of places in Catalonia and in Spain, gay and trans rights did not exist. No, um, that's definitely correct. I mean, I think if you just even take a look at the names of the laws that existed at the time, it kind of gives you an idea of how repressive the period was. So there was the the law against vagrants and crooks and then (laughs) the law against social dangerousness. Uh, which which completely outlawed homosexuality and transsexuality and and you could be imprisoned or tortured or it was not a good time. Then in the 1970s, things changed very rapidly. Yes, they did. Um, so Franco died in 1975, leading uh, giving way to the transition to democracy. And at the time, there were many political groups fighting for an amnesty, for for more political freedom. And there were also LGBT rights groups at the time. So, for example, um, later on, we'll talk about this a bit more, but we spoke to someone from Casal Lambda, which was a group founded in 1976. So it just shows you, yeah, like Franco dies 1975. And then we have these advocacy groups in 1976. Obviously, there was people who were active, but maybe in secret and yeah. underground. And then in the late 70s, they, they were able to become official and things mm-hmm, like that mm-hmm. and meet more openly. And obviously then right. that attracts more people and things like that. Right. Yeah, no. So I mean, we could say that Spain went from being a very Catholic, repressive country to a much more tolerant one. And it's generally acknowledged that Catalonia has been progressive in terms of the movement in Spain. Catalonia has always been at the, at the forefront, Kate. Yeah, definitely at the forefront. Um, they hosted the first Pride, which was held in Barcelona on La Rambla um, on the 26th of June in 1977. So like Christina was saying, it all happened very rapidly that mm-hmm, things started mm-hmm. changing, especially in Catalonia. Uh, but even that first Pride ended in police violence. So it wasn't an easy beginning. To okay, so it was a rapid transition, but obviously society... There was still some was pushback. Still, yeah. And then... In 1979, some of those repressive laws that you mentioned earlier began to change. Yeah, so the law against social dangerousness, it wasn't completely repealed in 79, but homosexuality was decriminalized. Okay, so they got rid of those articles. Christina, you mentioned you spoke to Laura González Tejedor. She's from a a group called Casal Lambda. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, she described Catalonia as a pioneer. Right. No, so so she's a lawyer, so she's um, very familiar with all of the legislation to do with this. Uh, Catalonia was actually, she she told me, Catalonia was actually the first comunidad autónoma, so region within Spain, to legalize same-sex civil partnerships. This is back in 1998. Of course, they couldn't legalize marriage at the time because that's a Spain-wide matter. Um, so Catalonia wasn't able to do that. Basically, then, the administration was kind of doing whatever it could. But yeah, yeah, they, they, yeah uh, whatever they had authority over. And then even more recently, so in the past 
10 or so years, Catalonia was allowing trans people who weren't legally recognized by their chosen names to use these names on their medical cards because Catalonia has authority over medical care okay, here. Okay, yeah. So because the health services is devolved, the mm-hmm. powers that Catalonia, they were able to change name on medical card, but not on their official ID cards, which would be a, yeah. a matter uh, for well, the some, some people were able to, but we'll, we'll hear about this later on when we talk about the trans law. Some people were able to, but the people who hadn't met the requirements yet were able to change them on their medical cards before then. Talking about that new trans law, there's been a lot of lead up to that in terms of other regulation that's been passed over the last few years. So in Catalonia in 2014, they passed a law guaranteeing the rights of lesbians, gays, bisexuals, transgender and intersexual people um, in 2014 in order to eradicate homophobia, biphobia and transphobia. In 2020, they also passed another law that was more of a blanket insurance of equality and non-discrimination in Catalonia. That was in Catalonia. And then this year, Christina, across Spain, we've had the so-called trans law introduced. Right. So here it's been, I mean, people talk about the trans law. I've seen them in the media abroad. They talk about the self gender self-determination law because that was one of the main focuses of this new law. However, it actually um, also affects the LGBTI community as a whole and not only trans people. Yeah, that was the kind of the stuff that made the headlines, if you like, wasn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. as you said, internationally mm-hmm. as well as here. So things like, I mean, one of the main changes is that people no longer need to undergo hormone treatment for two years and get a medical report if they want to change their, their gender. Hence, gender self-determination. They can decide this is who I am. This is my gender and they can go and change that. And an interesting thing about having to get that medical report is that it was only back in 2019 that the World Health Organization took out gender identity disorder from its list of mental or or behavioural illnesses. Yeah, so it was, and again, in in Spanish legislation, it was grouped under illness as well, because, you know, you had to go to the doctor and say, Mm -hmm. okay, I've got gender dysphoria. As we said earlier, Christina, the, the legislation doesn't just affect, affect the trans community. No, it affects the LGBTI community as a whole. Um, so, for example, another point that's included in the law is that it prohibits gender affirming surgery for intersex children under the age of 12. So before a common practice was to have a child undergo surgery when they were months old. Uh, But now they'll be able to do that if they choose to do so um, and if their parents choose to do so once they're older. It also the law also includes um, fertility treatment for trans people who can get pregnant, lesbians, bi women and single women. Uh, This is within the public system. So before you were able to access it through the private system and it some um, Spanish regions you were able to through the public system, but it wasn't a widespread, uh, a Spain-wide law up until now. Another thing that Laura emphasised when she spoke this was the diversity training that is enshrined now in this legislation as well. So it means that people working in the public se- sector have to have you know training so that when they interact with the public, they're aware of all these issues, diversity, equality and things like that. And she thought that was very important. Mm-hmm. It also outlaws conversion therapy, which shockingly enough, um, some regions didn't have legislation against it up until now. Some Catalonia of them did. did. Catalonia did, but some didn't. Um, they, they, it stopped short of including non-binary people. There definitely was a push, according to Laudel, within people of the movement, within the movement to have them included. But um, they decided not to include it in the text because they, they thought that Spain wasn't politically ready to pass a 
to prove that legislation. I mean, it, it was legislation that was controversial in the media, even, you know, between with opposition parties. And, and it's fair to say it wasn't universally accepted. Yeah, not universally accepted by other political parties that maybe lean more right, but also uh, within the feminist movement, there was a lot of debate surrounding the different, um, the trans laws that we were talking about, which was most visible on International Women's Day, which was March 8th, where during one of the the protests or marches... Here in Barcelona, right? Yes, um, it was actually split into two. So those who were for this this new legislation and those who were against this new legislation... Yeah, and previous years they'd always marched under the same banner and stuff. So that was a big controversy uh, this year. So we have anti-discrimination legislation enshrined now in Catalonia and in Spain. Uh, But, of course, that does not mean that discrimination doesn't happen. And in fact, uh, we were speaking to the Observatory Against Homophobia. Uh, They're made up of activists. They're based here in Barcelona. They've got activists, professionals and volunteers from various fields. uh, And they're idea is to make the observatory a tool at the service of the LGBTI community and the public. We spoke to Albert Carrasco, a lawyer at the Observatory Against Homophobia, and began by asking how common discrimination against the LGBTI community is in Catalonia. En lo que llevamos de 2023, que acabamos de cerrar el primer semestre del, del año. In the first six months of 2023, we've reported 160 instances of LGBTI discrimination in Catalonia. Considering we ended last 2022 with 237, we are on course to surpass that figure this year. June and July during Pride tend to be when people report these instances to us the most because it's when the community is more present in the public sphere and in debates. And what kind of discrimination incidents do you see? Nosotros en el observatory registramos situaciones de discriminación. Here at the observatory, we take note of discrimination that a person or part of the community suffers due to their sexual orientation, gender identity or gender expression. We verify whether the discrimination was motivated by that and it doesn't need to entail physical violence. We most frequently get complaints from gay men about instances that take place in public spaces, verbal assaults, hate speech, and there's also been an increase from the trans community, not just against trans individuals, but against the trans community in general. Most of our complaints are from gay men, but does this mean gay men are the most discriminated against community? No, it's because they feel the most comfortable reporting these instances with us. We've had more trouble, generally speaking, reaching women. From what you've seen, does more hate speech lead to more discrimination? With the trans law, we noticed that when it was in the process of being approved, the media would interview professionals about their opinion on the law's content, and we found that some describe it as an aberration that is set out to give children hormones and whatnot. There have been people who have expressed their opinion in a very forceful and rude way, and we've noticed an uptick in hate speech against trans or LGBTI people on social media. We've found that the trans law has led to increasingly intense debates. Hate speech and the far right, on the one hand, are on the rise, but the social alarm this has sounded in the LGBTI community has encouraged further activism on their part, because they see that their rights are in danger, and this also empowers them more to report discrimination.
Our thanks to Albert Carrasco and the Observatory Against Homophobia. OCH.cat is their website if you want to get in touch with them. They have information in English on their website and they have a form there uh, where you can report homophobic or transphobic incidents. And in fact, well, that's where they get most of their data from, Kate. Yeah, that's what he was saying, that uh, most of the data comes from their own report system, but that they also gather data from other LGBTQ plus organizations from around Barcelona and Catalonia. They actually don't include police reports of incidents. They're not able to add those to their list. So it is important when we're hearing about the number of cases um, of incidents that are happening in Catalonia, that there is no doubt more. Just this morning, before we started recording, the Observatory presented their annual report called The State of LGBTI Phobia in Catalonia 2022. And you were looking at the main findings, Kate. I was indeed. So there were 237 incidents in 2022, which was 16.5% less than 2021, which saw 284. Now, the largest portion of reports involved physical aggression, which was nearly a quarter of all of the reports filed. And this figure is even more alarming because of the drastic spike that we've seen since 2021, where there was only 17% of these cases involving physical aggression. So they had less cases reported, but a greater proportion of them involved physical aggression. That's it. But the number as well was still quite high. They said it's the second year in a row that they've had above 200, uh, which you know wasn't the case before. They've been collecting this data since 2014. Yeah, so the purpose of collecting this data and publishing it is that At the end of the day, they want to focus on solutions. And so they recommended that authorities allocate more resources to implementing public policies towards preventing, detecting and also helping those suffering from it report these discriminations. We already know that homophobic and transphobic incidents are up 15.8% in the first five months of the year, according to the observatory. Uh, Again, it's difficult to say if incidents go up because there's more reporting happening or because there's more incidents as well. The interview with Albert there, he said at the end, Christina, that uh, the debate around the trans law, it led to an increase in hate speech. And, you know, political debate has an influence then in the figures that they end up seeing reported. No, and similarly, when I was talking to Laura, she also brought up the upcoming election on July 23rd here in Spain. She mentioned that many people within the community are concerned because of the rise of the right and the far right. They're concerned that there's going to be a lot of backlash against them. And one of the things that she brought up is that while if the right wins, it's it's pretty unclear because the left block and the right block are very, very tight, very close in the polls. Um, but if the right wins, um, Laura was saying that they might not necessarily repeal the gender self-determination law that we were talking about, but they might not fund it. So it will mean that uh, public bodies will not be able to implement it, perhaps. Um, though that said, if you do look at, uh, for example, the Conservative People's Party's uh, electoral program, they talk about implementing a new trans law altogether. It's interesting even looking at the Barcelona Pride website because they say after years of progress and achievements, we live in a moment in which threats to our collective are increasing and our rights are once again being violated and questioned. So it's kind of interesting. On on one hand, you think, okay, right, new laws and protecting rights and anti-discrimination. But within the community, they clearly feel that things might easily move in another direction or already are in terms of like their own experiences. 
And and we've seen this in other parts of Spain when um, Pepe and Vox have have gone into coalition together, where you know they've they're parts of the country where the LGBT flag isn't allowed on public buildings and where they don't talk about gender-based violence. It's family violence. Here in Barcelona, as I said, it's pride. And on the contrary, we do have some very visible signs. Kate, you were just saying that you, you saw one when you were out and about walking in the in the city centre. About four stories high on the, <laughs> the face of the Catalan government building, there is um, two, a picture of like two women uh, embracing and I guess that means great lots of pride yeah I think it's a play on words as in yeah. like bigger pride but bigger also pride. older gran yeah. the gran is old which older is older people exactly what the theme for this year's pride celebration in Barcelona um, it's all about celebrating LGBTQI seniors um, to give them as they say visibility to their different realities needs and desires and to help the younger generations continue learning from their experiences. Yeah, so every year Pride has like a theme and so that's this year's. They say it's a special occasion to thank them for all the way they've opened up for the generations that came after them. Mm-hmm. We're cutting it a bit tight recording this podcast if you want to try and get to the Pride events because it's been going on for a few days. A Saturday is the big parade. If you're listening to this on Saturday morning, you might still make it. I think it's at 6pm we said. As well as the main parade, there's tents and stands and things. Yeah, all across the city, there's going to be stuff going on um, on, on Saturday, including Lorreen, who Ooh. is the 2023 Eurovision winner. She'll yeah. be performing, as well as Paulina Rubio, who is, who is a performer from Mexico as well. So they're the kind of headliners of the, of the events. And they're very, yeah, very anticipated. Um, it's a it's a massive it's a massive party here. You know, we mentioned you know there's protests too and stuff, but yeah, it's a big celebration. The streets um, will be packed. Streets will be packed. Streets will be colourful. Mm-hmm. Where does it start? Where's the main parade start? In Parque de Les Tres Jimenas. Jimenas. Chimeneas. 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 <laughs> yeah, the three chimneys. So uh, I'm parallel. Okay. Yes, and it'll end in Plaza de España. Okay, so that's up up parallel. It'll be going. It is slightly uphill, I know, because um, very slightly. Uh, Come on, Morgan. I, I've done it. I've done it on one of those beast things, and you know, it's it's more uphill than it looks. Okay, right, right. Um, if you're if you're not around Barcelona for Pride this weekend, there's also Circuit Festival uh, in the city, uh, which happens in August. Yeah, Pride in Catalonia is year round. So while a lot of the events are going to take place this month during Pride Month, um, one of the biggest gay Pride fest like festivals in the world will take place um, in Barcelona from the 5th to the 13th of August. Um, they have a water park day in Ia Fantasia, which is like a day and night water park party, which is insane. Every time you're on the podcast, Kate, I we know, end up talking water about parks. water parks. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. So that's Ia Fantasia just outside Barcelona. Uh-huh. And uh, I mean, we have been speaking mainly about Barcelona, but we couldn't really do a podcast on the LGBT community in Catalonia without mentioning Sitges, Christina. No, definitely. I mean, it's described as one of Europe's gay capitals just south of Barcelona along the coast. Um, We saw on one website there was a gay guide to Europe's gayest town, which we thought was very apt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Pride has already happened there in June, but uh, it really is a year-round affair in Sitges and especially over the summer, the summer months, maybe from May to September, October, good weather, beaches. It's a small town, but I think it has 17 beaches, the council website says. Oh, really? 17? 17 beaches. I mean, maybe they're considering like the little calas, little coves. Yeah, I guess so. They must be. Uh, So that's, you know, spend the day there. And then at night as well, very famous for a very lively uh, bar restaurant scene. And then later on the club scene as well. Yeah, no, I can I can assure you that Pride and Sea Chase is a big affair. 
I had the honor of going for a day and it was wonderful. Um, all those 17 beaches were absolutely packed. <laughs> as 17, well as every, did you count them? <laughs> <laughs> walking along one, two. Yeah, and every seat in every restaurant was filled and just, it was so lively and, and full of like laughter and joy and it was just brilliant to be there. Time now for our Catalan phrase. What's it this week, Christina? Viu y deixa viure. Viu y deixa viure. Live and let live. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Apt and works in English Succinct. as well. Works in <laughs> Catalan, that's good to know. Viu y deixa viure. And that's all we've got time for today. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Filling the Sink wherever you get your podcast if you haven't done so already. Uh, thanks very much for joining me, Kate and Christina. It was lovely to be here. Always a pleasure. We're back again next weekend with another episode of Filling the Sink. Until then, for me, Lorcan Doherty, and all of us here at Catalan News, bye for now. Adios.